the Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Tom, easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Lucky day, Mr. Sumner. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our fellow Americans. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans. And soon, they will be available to everyone. The science is clear. These vaccines will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. They could save your life. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. That's the first step to ending the pandemic and moving our country forward. It's up to you. The Tom Sumner Program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wacky stories we call the X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. This is Mayor Sheldon Neely, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Hey, welcome back, everybody, as we roll into the second half of uh, this week's edition of Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. Joining me for today's edition of uh, Armchair Politics, our panel of political pundits includes our roundtable regulars, Flint's premier political pundit, Paul Rosicki. Paul, welcome back. Always good to be here. And on the right, longtime Genesee County Republican Henry Hatter. Henry, welcome back to you as well. Did we lose Henry? Is there Henry? Hmm. <laughs> well, usually when that happens, Henry Henry will will call me back if if something dropped at his end. Uh, but joining our roundtable regulars, we have political operative Bobby Clayton Walton. Bobby, welcome back to you as well. Hello, Bobby. Oh, I I just heard her a moment ago. What yeah, happened? so did I. Yeah. It's well, maybe they'll maybe they'll call back in. Yeah, it's a strange. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> so it's just you and me, Paul. You want to talk All about right, movies? We'll or, we can do. <laughs> that's, that's right. <laughs> yeah. Hope, hope this phone holds up for a while. <laughs> well, let's see. Where did I leave off? Um, Oh, this is uh, this is an interesting one, and I'll go ahead and start with you, Paul, and we'll uh, we'll roll Bobby and and Henry back in. Yeah. If they if they rejoin us here shortly, um, Michigan is one of four states launching a new program to connect people transitioning out of the criminal justice system to um, restaurant jobs. 
The National oh. Restaurant Association Education Foundation was awarded $4 million toward the program and will use the funds to launch the Job Skills Program Hospitality Opportunities. Uh, let's see, I think that's Bobby calling back in. I'm going to transfer her right over. Hi, Bobby. Stand by. You're ready. Are you back with us now? I can hear you. Can you hear me? Uh, I no, can hear can't you. Do it. That's good, Bobby. We still can't hear. <laughs> we still can't hear Henry, but maybe he'll give me a call back here in a moment. Uh, but let me let me pick up where I uh, where I left off here. The hospitality opportunities for people re-entering society, or hopes, Michigan. Delaware, Ohio, and Texas received grant money to train and prepare formerly incarcerated people for jobs and careers in the restaurant, food service, and hospitality industries. And and my question is, is this new program a good way to address two problems, offenders re-entering the workforce and restaffing restaurants affected by the pandemic? I think it's a start. I mean, I, I give great credit to some of those programs. I'm thinking particularly of <clears throat> Lee, Leon L. Alamin's program around here to, to really get, get ex-offenders back into the system in some way. So, I mean, while it's very specialized for restaurants, it's a step in the right direction, I think. I think Henry's back yeah. with us as well. Henry back. There you go, Henry. Did you miss me? We yes, did. We did. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I had a problem. Somehow it went on to airplane mode, and I couldn't figure out what the heck was going on, but I'm back. That's good. Yay. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, i got to switch it from airplane to on air. <laughs> yes. But what about yeah, that? I think this... those programs, yeah, I think those programs are good. Um, they They provide opportunities for people to earn some money while they're learning a skill or a trade. And uh, they can also provide uh, some relief to the employer. Yeah, these days especially with all the, all the, uh, the, uh, the job openings at restaurants and hospitality businesses, you see signs in front of every, uh, every fast food place and, and restaurant around town. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. I think they're good. I think any... Hmm? Hello? Is that Henry? I'm here. I'm here. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I, I think as much trouble as restaurants have had restaffing in the wake of the pandemic, that, you know, that this is um, a, a really uh, interesting blending of two needs. Yeah, you know, yeah. And, uh, restaurant uh, employ restaurants really get a bad deal. They make tremendous advanced investments, and they depend on uh, that system to go 100% of the available time that's allowed for them to operate. And when it doesn't, they lose business, and they lose permanent businesses, and their employees suffer from that. And, and you know, employees are people, too. They have their demands and their expectations. They, and besides, and we don't always treat those employees with dignity and respect and uh, with the same kind of things that we expect from them. So uh, that, that business needs a lot of TLC. 
And and that's why yeah. this is such an interesting program because uh, for several years on this show, I have talked to, and you mentioned uh, Leon uh, El Alamin from the Maid Institute, Paul, right. um, who works with uh, people that are transitioning out of the criminal justice system and trying to find a way for them to fit back into um you know the the regular everyday life and one of the problems is is that there hasn't always been a place for them to go when they get out and and Leon's been working on that but here's a situation where an industry in this country is struggling to find people and and we've got a group of people that are struggling to find a place to fit in and it just seems it seems like it ought to be a good fit yeah it seems like a step in the right direction considering how, how much demand there is there yeah i didn't get to hear the beginning of that yeah i'm getting static from somebody is that henry's phone no i i don't think so i i can hear you guys well but you're cutting out at me well, there's there's some kind of a an echo or or breakup going on, but but uh, Bobby, the um, let's see, let me find the the opening uh, for that for that. Yeah, I was curious about whether this program is being funded or assisted with government money. Uh, yeah, it is. Um, let me see. Where can I? Uh, what is the... I'm hearing an echo, too, at least from some phones. Yeah, I was hearing it when you were speaking. Maybe I should call back in. It may be mine, but I don't hear anything. I don't hear anything. Well, yeah, let's let's try to reconnect, and I'll uh, reset up this story. Michigan is one of four states launching a new program to connect people transitioning out of the criminal justice system to restaurant jobs. The National Restaurant Association Educational Foundation was awarded four million dollars toward the program and will use the funds to launch the job skills program hospitality opportunities for people re-entering society or hopes and michigan delaware ohio and texas are receiving grant money to train and and prepare former formerly incarcerated people for jobs and careers in the restaurant food service and hospitality industries yeah. That was the setup so, for the discussion, Bobby. Yeah, so there's an advantage to the restaurant owner other than than getting uh, people to work for them. There's also a financial investment. Sure. Bobby, are you using a speakerphone or a headset? No, hold on. I'm, I'm not either. Make sure that I'm... No? No, I, I, I hear you. Hearing all kind of noise and echoes from from. I am too, and I'm. You know what I'm well, doing? I had my computer on. Now I'm turning it off, wondering if maybe that was interfering. Oh, could be, could be. Yeah. This well, is I'm the, turning this, it off. It's it's a newer technology, but it's the equivalent of turn your radio down. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I just had my computer on, but it's it's gone now. So maybe it was my computer. Yeah. Okay. I- yeah, I don't hear it now, at least not at the moment. Yeah. Well, let's see if we can get this. Let's see if we can get this one in before we go to break. 
Michigan's Attorney General Dana Nessel and the Michigan State Police will investigate those who have profited off unfounded claims about the 2020 election, her office confirmed Thursday. A Republican-led Michigan Senate committee report recommended the Attorney General consider investigating those who have peddled misinformation to raise money or publicly for their own ends, or publicity for their own ends. After re reviewing the report in full, the department has accepted Senator McBroom and the committee's request to investigate. Uh, Michigan State Police is also assisting in the matter, said Lindsay uh, McConnell. Uh, spokesperson for Dana Nessel. Should misinformation be punishable? Hmm. I think I mentioned last week I, I have mixed feelings. I mean, I, on one hand, oh, getting all kind of echoes still? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, so am I, pretty much. I, uh, I was going to say, my only thought about the was made last week. Yeah, I got all kind of echoes. Well, let's see. Hmm. of the moon? Maybe that's it, yeah. <laughs> no, I turned off my computer, so... All of my electronic... Well, let's let's see if that works. I'm not I'm not hearing it right now. So the question was, should misinformation be punishable? Yes. If we're well, looking for integrity, yeah, uh, it it should be dealt with. I don't know what degree of a punishment or, or what kind of punishment, but it should be people should be made accountable because they are most of us depend on the truth of an issue being surfaced. And we base our decision based on that truth, what we believe to be perceived as truth. And people who are peddling adverse information to the truth, uh, that can be proven. And there's evidence that this has been done, The people should be punished. You know, well, I, I got little sympathy for for the, for the folks who were making all the lies about the election. I, I kind of wonder, you know, if a lawyer goes into court and says, my client is innocent of being an ex-murderer, and when indeed he's not innocent, uh, is that going to be grounds for disbarring an attorney? I mean, defense attorneys do, in a sense, do that kind of thing all the time. Uh, I think the issue here, though, was... I wonder if it's my fault. Yeah, uh, Bobby, I think maybe uh, we're about to go to break here in a minute, and Bobby, maybe we should reconnect on the other line. Yeah, I'll try. I'll, 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 I'll use my phone call. This is my, this is my cell. I'll call in on my home phone. Okay, give us Have about a minute. Have I got a, a second? Give us about a minute. Go ahead, Henry. Uh yeah, I, I think that people who peddle uh, false information be, should be punished, whether it's Democrats or Republicans, whether it's uh, clergy or the attorney. Anybody who peddles really bogus information should be brought before the law and evaluated and before the American people and let that be an example of what, Americans 
believe that a democratic and free society ought to have. Well, we'll leave it there for now. Um, and maybe we'll pick this up when we come back, but uh, we're going to take a short break. We'll be back with more right after Hello, this. Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. If you have traveled to a country with a widespread outbreak of COVID-19, CDC recommends you stay home and check your health for 14 days after returning to the United States. Take your temperature with a thermometer two times a day. Watch for symptoms like fever, cough, and trouble breathing. And if you feel sick or have symptoms, call ahead before you go to a doctor's office or emergency room. Tell the doctor about your recent travel and your symptoms and avoid contact with others. For more information, visit cdc.gov. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe Biden from the Blue Hawaiian. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Annan. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview all It's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. Yo, speaking. Oh, dear. Honey, our car warranty is expiring again. So soon? It just expired last week. You don't even own a car! Not now, Dana. Your father's on the phone. Hey! Mom and Dad, you're being scammed! It's a robocall! Scammers are using new technology and clever tactics to make more and more calls that look legitimate, but are hard to trace. They can make it look like they're calling from any number, even from numbers of people you know. My robocall crackdown team is working with state and federal partners to stop the robocalls for good, but I need your guys' help. Don't trust your caller ID. Verify you're really talking to the person whose number appears when your phone rings. If you accidentally answer a robocall, hang up right away. Engaging in conversation will only lead to more calls. Use a call blocking app on your cell phone that stops robocalls before they interrupt your day. And if you do get a robocall, File a complaint with my office online at mi.gov slash robocalls. And mom, dad, please do not give your information out to these scammers over the phone. They're just trying to trick you. Well, at least they call. No, I get it. You're busy. 
But you know, Janine's daughter is a doctor. She calls every week. A doctor. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. Hello, this is State Senator Jim Ananick, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Well, we're still getting an echo. Are we? Yep. I heard a little voice before, yeah. I was going to check and see if we've got everybody connected. Bobby, are you with us? I'm here. And I'm, I'm hearing the echo again, too. I'm hearing it, but I don't hear any echo. I mean, this sound like a background noise for a while there, but at the moment it's okay. Well, yeah. let's let's press on. Okay. Well, there's that echo again. There's yeah. the echo. I wonder if because let me um, let me call back in a few minutes. You guys talk among yourselves and see if it goes away. <laughs> okay. All right. Sounds good. Thanks. Let's see how this works. I don't know. Well, okay. let's let's pick up where we were uh, with the um, the question I had at the end of the last segment, and we were talking about uh, the investigation into unfounded claims about the 2020 election by uh, Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel and the Michigan State Police. Should misinformation be punishable? And Paul raises the point. Well isn't a lawyer when he says uh, that his client who's facing uh, criminal charges who may be guilty but is entitled to a defense if he says that his client is not guilty when in fact he is guilty does he fall uh, under the same scrutiny you know that's an interesting question because I've talked to attorneys before and this attorney uh, was from Grand Blank, a red-headed attorney. He said when I asked him about uh, a response to a question of a similar type, he says, well, Henry, what I do, I go after the throat of the guy that's, uh, that's, my, that's the accuser to, to, to my client, and I use every means possible. And that's, I believe that that is the tenor of most attorneys, I believe. Yeah, and I think in practice, most attorneys will not ask, did you do the crime? And they yeah. will look for, well, do they have the evidence to prove that you did it? Uh, you know, were the witnesses reliable? Was the evidence gathered correctly? It, you know, a lot, a lot of things like that. So they may avoid that direct question in some ways. But still, it raises the issue to me that, I mean, clearly, I'm sure there are many attorneys who know that their guy is probably guilty, but they're, they're committed to defend him as best they can. Well, yeah, but that's what the law, the law calls for. Sure. The law calls sure. for to defend a person from any kind of, of uh, you know, accusation before the law. They don't tell you how to do it, they say, and they don't yeah. put any boundaries to it. So I think that will be with us. We have to figure out how to get past that and... Uh, the attorney general's uh, proposal. Yeah, as I say, I, I've got little, little, little uh, sympathy for those those folks who are going out there, you know, claiming the election was, was rigged and all that, and some of these claims. But as I say, those raise other questions about other kind of cases where attorneys are committed to to defend their client, whoever their client might be. 
Well, I'm hearing that echo again. Uh, so am I. So am I. Paul, are, are you using a speakerphone? No, I'm not. I, I tell you what, let me let me shut my computer down. I got a computer on here too. Maybe. That, I, this is the most trouble we've had trying to keep these uh, these lines connected and being able to chat like this. Uh, but but I, I noticed something else uh, recently. I don't know whether all of you get. I get calls from people, solicitors, that interfere and shut down my conversation and they intercede uh, my business. And I'm talking directly to them when I think I'm supposed to be talking to someone else. Do you get that same kind of uh, response occasionally? Well, I do. I haven't. Oh. But I and I don't know what would do that. I my my yeah I don't know. My first inclination is to blame it on Russian hackers, but yeah. Um, <laughs> well, let's um let let's move on to this next thing because it's it kind of relates to what we were talking about. What were you gonna try, Paul? I was just gonna say I, I just turned my computer off, but I'm still hearing an echo back there. Yeah. yeah. But I apologize to the people that's listening. If if I'm any parts of that, uh, and I know that, that people, critics, we have critics out there that uh, don't like it, but we're doing the best we can. Yeah, I don't I don't know what's causing it. If there was a button I could tweak or something, I would do it. Yeah. Uh, a key advisor to House Republican leader uh, Kevin McCarthy was involved in a behind-the-scenes effort last month to help rehabilitate the reputation of freshman Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene according to CNN, discreetly facilitating her visit to the U.S. Holocaust Memorial Museum before she issued a uh, public apology for her recent anti-Semitic remarks. Let's see if we can add... Is that Bobby calling back? Yeah. I think Bobby's back with us. I am. Am I echoing? Hi, Bobby. I'm echoing. But yeah, but we were getting echoes even when you weren't connected to us, so I'm not sure what it is. Um, maybe, maybe it is the Russian hackers. I don't know. <laughs> I, 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 I shut my computer down, and it, it didn't change anything. You shut down our computers. I don't yeah. have any electronic equipment on except well, the cell phone. Okay, well, huh. let's, let's muddle through as best we can. Um, Let's see, where did I leave off? Uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene again made news this week for invoking Nazi-era imagery to mock COVID safety practices, raising fresh questions about whether McCarthy can keep a lid on um, his increasingly restive caucus with his soft touch and indirect methods, sometimes on his own and sometimes with the help of top allies and lawmakers. In this case, Jeff Miller, who sits on the board of trustees at the museum, orchestrated last month's trip after Green expressed interest in attending, according to multiple GOP sources. The episode underscores the limits of the McCarthy approach, not just with Green, but with all of the radical members in his conference, while the California Republican has publicly denounced some of his members' most controversial actions, including Green's Holocaust remarks, none of these lawmakers have suffered any real internal consequences for behavior that includes uh, 
floating dangerous conspiracy theories, whitewashing the January 6th insurrection, or having connections to white nationalists. Should McCarthy and other GOP leaders be looking for ways to raise the standards for their members' performance and rhetoric? Yes, I think that's, uh, that should go to all people who are elected to Congress. And you can start with the Republicans. Yeah, I they think politi- politically he almost has to. I mean, if, you, if, you, if you, you, want, you don't want the fringe to take over any party, and if, if your party gets, gets characterized by the, by the Greens or, the, uh, or, or others like that, it's, it's certainly going to hurt you at the polls in the, in the future. Well, yeah. you know, we we got some people uh, in both parties that are that that are very capable of flashing uh, an issue and uh, divisive and get people involved and people in their own parties object to their behavior. I can think of several. Oh yeah, in the Democratic Party even, and uh, so we have this going. And parties need to clean up their. Uh, that kind of stuff. I don't know whether you can clean that up, but you, some kind of advice uh, or set some standards uh, of behavior uh, when you're addressing the American public. Well, you know, um, I I posted something the other day about what I look at when I'm evaluating a candidate, and I want to know how they value governing, and mm. what I what I'm hearing and seeing from our our government is entertainment. Yes. And not yeah. governing. That's, that's a good point, because very often, if, if, you, if, you make, if you say the most outrageous things or make the most noise, you get the most coverage, yes. even though you're not doing much governing and even though you're not a very experienced lawmaker. And, uh, and part of that, uh, Paul, is the press. The press gives... Yeah. News, the fiery information like that. They create doubt. When people are trying to do the best they can, they will try to create doubt. Well, I mean, I mean, the reality is that Taylor Green is, in one sense, Taylor Green is a great story. She's entertaining. She says crazy stuff. So it's, it's, a, it's a fun story to write compared to somebody who's working on a committee to work out the details of a budget. It's a much yeah. more entertaining news story. And an example there is our own um, senator, <laughs> Uh, Gary Peters, who is a very hard worker, and, but he doesn't make headlines because he's controversial. Yeah. How is he controversial? I don't see that. Because he's, he's not, not controversial. No. He's, you know, he he's. Um, you know, you know, he's when, kind when of I a policy wonk, it. really. You know, he. In fact, I've I've talked to people uh, that work on his campaigns about, you know. Th- his, I don't want to say weakness, but but his his inability to to really be a people person. Yeah, yeah. I used to recall used to divide the senators into the workhorses and the show horses, and the show horses were the ones who got the media coverage. The workhorses were the ones who went to committee meetings and ground through the details of legislation and budgets and so forth, and. Uh, you need to be a little bit of both, not both, but uh, it's the show horses who get the most attention. And you know, and I, I believe that the press has intelligent people working for it. 
so um, it has the capacity to decide uh, show horses from work horses. It has that, but it can't do it because it doesn't sell papers. And yeah. that has to go back to the source of the American people who want to hear these controversies, uh, a portion of, a large portion of them, which does us no good in governance. Well, you know, the old story is what's news is, is something that's different. When a, when a dog bites a man, that's <laughs> not news. When a man bites a dog, that's different. That's news. You know, the different stuff gets covered. Remember what uh, Pat Clausen used to say about the Flint Journal? What was the, uh, go ahead, go ahead, Tom. Hang on just a second. I want to get uh, Bobby dropped out. See if I can get her back in the system with us. Okay, Bobby, I think you're back with us. I am. I got dropped. I don't, I don't know. Maybe there's a flying saucer over my house. <laughs> it may be Russian hacking. I don't know. Anyway, anyway Pat Clausen used to have a... a phrase he he said it should have been the flint journal's uh slogan if it's news it's news to us <laughs> right <laughs> i love pat clausen he was true. so entertaining yeah <laughs> i i miss him a great deal i know he and yeah. i have become pretty good friends um anyway uh let's let's move on i want to try and squeeze at least a couple more things in here uh, as they start the process of standing up a select committee to investigate security failings and circumstances surrounding the deadly January 6th attack on the U.S. Capitol, House Democrats aim to use a strategy that avoids turning the investigation into a spectacle. They hope to keep some of their work behind closed doors outside the glare of the fiery public hearings that divined the, uh, Republic, uh, the Republican Select Committee on Benghazi during the Obama administration. While the plans for the committee are still in early stages, sources tell, told CNN that Democrats intend to make an effort not to turn it into a second round of impeachment, but instead use it to explore a range of issues that don't all center on Donald Trump, even if the former president's role, they argue, cannot be ignored. How likely is this invest investigation um, how likely is it to be conducted behind closed doors? Mm. I, I mean, it sounds I it good, be, but I don't it, see it really happening. Yeah, I think you're right. It sounds good, and it may be desirable to do it, but I think if there's anything even slightly sensational or explosive, it'll get out, leaked by somebody one way or the other, or uncovered by a reporter somewhere. So I I suspect it won't be all that much behind closed doors. But I think in terms of, of instilling trust, the attempt to do that, to avoid the circus atmosphere, is a good idea if they can do it. But it's it's a pretty big if. Yeah, and, and the whole subject of trust comes in. Does the public want to be in part of the process, even as an audience? Um, because trust it has to be generated because you have been given information or knowledge. Yeah, and uh, and that it's a it's a very fine line. That's well, true. here's here's something that touched on uh, some something we were talking about a little earlier. 
about uh, redistricting. Loretta Smith and Wesley Hunt are members of different parties separated by both distance and policy, and yet Smith, an Oregon Democrat, and Hunt, a Texas Republican, find themselves in similar positions headed into the 2022 midterms. Both have announced plans to run for Congress, but neither know what the district they plan to run in will look like. (laughs) Smith and Hunt are among a growing group of politicians from both parties who, because of the delayed release of the district-level data from the 2020 U.S. Census needed for each state to complete the redistricting process, have announced congressional bids without knowing which district they will be running in. The delay has created a unique set of announcements across the country with people like Hunt announcing the area they plan to represent, but not the district or opponent they could face. Although many politicians are impacted by this delay, the feeling is particularly acute for first-time candidates and those challenging incumbents. The reason neither are waiting is simple. Running for Congress as a challenger isn't easy, and the time it takes to build an organizing and fundraising operation is critical. How awkward will the 2022 election be as a result of delayed redistricting? (laughs) Very, very, very. Yeah, I think there's a real possibility of that. I mean, again, here in Michigan particularly, we're going to lose one seat, so there's going to be somebody bounced out from the congressional delegation. And you you hear all kinds of stories and rumors about how even the local district here, District 5 for Dan Kildee, could change, might include parts of the thumb, might go some other directions. I mean, nobody knows at this point, but it really is guesswork for any candidate. Um, but, but, but as you say, particularly for, for new candidates and, and first-termers, uh, it's going to be a scramble. Well, you know, when, when they eliminate one congressional district, will they start with the highest number? Will that be the one eliminated? Oh, I don't think so. I think that, I think it'll. I mean, we'll we'll see what the nonpartisan commission does, but I don't think it's going to be not automatically the highest number. I think they. Uh, again, I, I don't really know. But I don't could, either because they they they, they it, could throw two incumbents together in some district, someplace. Uh, well, they could, but how how many congressional districts do we have here? Nine. Uh, 14, 14 now. Fourteen. Okay. Would they eliminate District Fourteen? And reapportion the other 13? Well, the, well, the speculation the, has been it's going to be one of the one of the Detroit area districts. Yeah. Possibly, is it Brenda Lawrence? That's one that they're, they're most likely concerned about, yeah. yeah. Well, if I remember, you don't have to live in a congressional district in order to run to represent that district. Technically not. That's true. That's true, Bobby, although... Conventionally, we expect people to do that, but yeah, you're exactly right. In fact, there have been times in the past when states, this goes way back, states have failed to redistrict and they would elect everybody at large. You'd vote for, you know, 15 different members of Congress on your ballot because they were all on the ballot and they were all running at large. That didn't happen very often, but every now and then for a few states, there were cases where everybody was running at large. Yeah, and so the the people could just run and declare they're going to run for a particular district, and they don't even have to live there, so yeah. they could still, yeah, they could still run for that true. district. That's true. Yeah. Oh, boy, don't we have interesting it's times. Gonna be, it's going to be fun to watch. <laughs> it's going to be strange. Yeah. Uh, well, the echo's gone, but so is Henry, I think. Uh-oh. Oh, see. 
Well, let's yeah, see if, right. if I can squeeze in one more here before uh, before the next break comes up. President Joe Biden urged Russian President Vladimir Putin to take action to disrupt criminal ransomware groups in Russia on a call Friday morning, their first publicized discussion since the summit in Geneva last month. But the Kremlin says American agencies have not made any formal appeals in the last month regarding recent cyber attacks. Following an executive order signing at the White House on Friday afternoon, Biden indicated he and Putin have established a more direct means of communication. He also <laughs> underscored that Putin will need to act on ransomware operations that originate from Russian actors. I made it very clear to him that the United States expects when a ransomware operation is coming from his soil, even though it's not sponsored by the state, we expect him to act. And we've, we've given him enough information to act on who that is, Biden said. Does President Biden have any influence over Vladimir Putin? Hmm. And that's especially an important question today when the Russians have been hacking our show. <laughs> right, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. We have very, 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 very vital information for them. Right, um, right. I don't know if he has any influence at all. You know, there may be things that he can threaten to do or follow through on that we're not even aware of because there's so much that goes on that... It's that it's interesting our, that, that Biden stopped just just ever so slightly short of saying, we told him who's doing it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I, and I heard that this Our Evil group has actually dropped out of sight and maybe have changed their name, or or maybe he did threaten them and they decided that they didn't want to get him too upset. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, it seems to me clearly if they're operating out of, out of Russia that, that Putin has got the ability to shut them down if he chooses to, whether yeah. they're part of the government or not. Uh, and... Uh, Clearly, he could just poison them. He could poison them. <laughs> right. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so, so, yeah, I mean, I think the... the, the that was the first thing that went through my mind when you said they've dropped out of sight. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> they've dropped in the river. Yeah. <laughs> True. Yeah, I don't know how serious... Can you hear me? Yeah, there's Henry. Oh, yeah. Uh, for uh, about two or three minutes, I, I I didn't think you guys heard me. But I, I like Bobby has said, I don't think that uh, there's a, we have enough information to decide whether Putin has dominion over um, Joe Biden. There's just not enough information. What we've seen, we're we're guessing, uh, and we're politicizing that argument until we get more information. Uh, I don't think that we can really say one way or the other. Because it could be either way. But Joe Biden seems to be a man that speaks for himself and speaks for the American people. So it's not easy for me to agree with everybody who says, well, he has dominion over Joe Biden. But I don't know yet. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think there's an awful lot that we don't know. And we can talk, we can talk until we're blue and might, we might be going in the wrong direction. Well, yeah. it's, all, it's all speculation you know at this point but but it's interesting because it's different than the previous president when he says things like i made it very clear to him that the us expects even if it's yeah. not sponsored by the state we expect him to act 
Well, I agree. I agree with that statement. I agree. And all of us should agree with that. You expect, once you have an agreement, either formal or informal, you expect another leader to abide by that less. uh, They need more uh, negotiations. Yeah. And how long does it take before a body uh, floats to the surface? I don't know. (laughs) Right. (laughs) I don't know. They need to start checking people on park benches in London. Um, anyway, we'll, uh, <laughs> we, we've got to take another break. We'll come back with uh, X-Files, and there's a couple of good ones coming up. So don't touch that dial. Don't click that mouse. We'll be back with more right after this. Hey, <laughs> this is the Unknown Comic, and guess what? You're listening to the Tom Sumner Show right now, and now, and now, too, and even now. Our lives have been turned upside down by COVID-19. When a vaccine becomes available, it's critical that all of us get it. What we do as individuals will impact everyone's health, including those who can't get the vaccine. We won't get through this unless everyone takes part. Now is the time to get up to date on all recommended vaccines for both kids and adults. Experts say it's more important than ever for everyone to get their flu vaccine this year. And if you're older, You should get both the flu and pneumonia vaccines, since both illnesses can make COVID-19 even worse. Vaccines are available at a lot of convenient places, so be an example for friends and loved ones and encourage them to get vaccinated too. We all want to reunite, travel, and get back to school and work. But that means we all need to get on board. This is the time to do what's right for each other. Get vaccinated. It's our best shot. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe By from the Blue Hawaiians. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Dr. Comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Ananick. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You are, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview all It's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them, in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County, where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods, and in the diverse city beyond. 
where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air, where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums, where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses, and where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County, where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at michigan.org. MTA Flint is nationally recognized for continually seeking to provide sustainable, reliable, and cost-efficient transportation for individuals throughout the region. Through work-related and non-emergency medical transportation and your ride services, MTA is moving people with future and alternative fuel technologies. More information about MTA Flint and specialized services is available at mtaflint.org. get the uneasy feeling Rod Serling is behind one of those doors. Rod Serling. Rod Serling. What's this, the Twilight Zone? Where is everybody? I would have been headed for the Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone. If I go any lower, I'll be in the Twilight Zone. All right. All oh, but Jethro's right at home in the Twilight Zone. <laughs> I'm in the Twilight Zone. Now, having made this little jaunt into the Twilight Zone, I got a feeling something strange is about to happen in the Twilight Zone. Hi, this is Ann Serling, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back to today's edition of Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program as we enter into the segment known as the X-Files where we look at weird and wacky news that um, is strange but true. And this first one is kind of interesting because it's about uh, a place that I didn't even know existed. Uh, seven people apprehended after entering Vermont illegally from Quebec by driving across the lawn of a library built in both the U.S. and Canada were immediately returned to Canada, the U.S. Border Patrol said Thursday. Surveillance videos released by the Border Patrol shows the car drive by the Haskell Free Library and Opera House on July 4th, nearly hitting a car as it turns onto a street in the Vermont community. Agents apprehended the vehicle a short time later as it headed south on Interstate 91. The occupants were from Canada, France, and Romania. They were returned to Canada under special public health rules intended to minimize the spread of COVID-19. The Haskell Free Library was deliberately built straddling the border in the early 20th century so people from both countries can use it. The entrance is in Vermont and before the library was temporarily closed by the pandemic, Canadians were allowed to enter the United States to visit the library without having to visit a customs post. Since the border between the two countries was closed by the pandemic to uh, routine border crossers, the area in front of the library has been used by people from both countries who have met friends and family there talking across the border. In the Border Patrol video, there appears to be a group holding one of these reunions on the other side of the library from where the illegal crossing took place. My question is, was there a risk of this group rioting the Reading Act? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe so. 
<laughs> had anybody heard of this library before? I hadn't. No. I, I, I had either. No. Had you, Henry? No, I haven't. I just thought that was fascinating. Well, the good it's thing about right border, huh? Yeah, the good thing about this show is you find out things you didn't know before. That's true. That's true. Well, Mark Zuckerberg posted a video of himself hovering on a hydrofoil surfboard and waving an American flag set to John Denver's Take Me Home Country Roads on July 4th because America. <laughs> Happy. Happy July 4th, the Facebook CEO wrote. It was, of course, immediate fodder for memes and Twitter silliness. It joins other extremely random content from the tech billionaire in the past that includes slow motion spear throwing and surfing while wearing what looked like a whole tube of sunscreen as a disguise from paparazzi. He appeared to be a little less sun-safe this holiday weekend, but a whole lot more patriotic. It comes a week after a federal judge threw out government antitrust lawsuits brought against Facebook by the Federal Trade Commission, dealing a major blow to the effort to rein in the social media giant. Do Mark Zuckerberg's posts make Facebook more or less attractive? Uh, more, I, he's, Confusing a lot of people. <laughs> I think that's a good way to put it, Henry. <laughs> yeah, I, I, everybody sees the value in uh, the in the medium there, in the media there. It's valuable to us all, but when it's used well, for it, it, when it's used for issues that doesn't meet the public need or the public sense of fairness, then it's a problem. Well, I think he has billions and billions of subscribers across oh, the yeah, world. Yeah. You know, it's, sure. it's such yeah. a it's 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 the biggest communication medium in the world right now. Yes. And um, but I was picturing him and all the other billionaires and their competition to see who can do the most outrageous thing on uh, public transportation or their transportation. Yeah, I don't the, know. the outer space <laughs> joyrides, <laughs> billionaires. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> well, when business owner Bobby Reed approached the Brooksville City Council about purchasing a municipal building at the base of the small Florida city's water tower, he didn't expect the water tower to come with it. Reed discovered the mistake after the property had been sold to him for $55,000. A certified personal trainer intended to turn the building, which various city departments used for storage, into a personal training studio named Downtown Athletics. But when he went to the county property appraiser's office to get an address for his new business, the county told him he'd, receive, he'd received much more than the building several thousand gallons more. The surprise purchase boiled down to a mix-up over the legal description for the property. Uh, Mark Cutney, the Brooksville city manager, says the building Reed wanted to buy was never split off from the parent property where the water tower is based, even though city leaders were aware it was supposed to be. City code allows properties to be split one time from their parent parcel. Cutney said. Do you think we can interest Bobby Reed in some Flint municipal buildings with or without water? 
Oh, I think we <laughs> we, we we can offer them a pretty bargain, I think, for a lot of those things. <laughs> or a water tower. <laughs> That's right. That's right. I was wondering what his new responsibilities might be since he has possession of a water tower. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I wonder if it's an elected position or an appointed one. <laughs> well, I think it's like a lot of government positions. He bought it. Now that was a good one, Tom. (laughs) Water fair and square. Well, a a plane carrying dozens of journalists preparing to take off from Washington, D.C. to cover President Biden's first trip abroad was delayed for several hours. A swarm of cicadas was evidently looking to hitch a ride to Europe with the press corps. A horde of brood at <laughs> cicadas had filled the plane's engines, causing mechanical issues that delayed takeoff. Eventually, White House aides had to find another plane for reporters to make it overseas, according to the Associated Press. Is global swarming a thing now? <laughs> Maybe the cicadas only get to go to Europe once every 17 years. So it, it's a good, it took the it's a good match. Yeah, that's almost as bad as the geese that wind up going into their engines as they're flying. <laughs> yeah. There, Henry, are you still with us? Is Henry still back? Yes, I, I was knocked out for a minute, but uh, it came back on. Yeah, I do think it's the Russians. I think you're right. I yeah. think they're, they're hacking into the program today. Well, I, I appreciate all of your patience and and attempts to help. I'm going to have something checked with my system and see if there's something in the uh, in the phone system for the board here that uh, that that we use in this conference call format. Maybe some settings have uh, gotten askew or something, but. I, I appreciate your patience and, and efforts to plug on through. We've had uh, yeah. this at least this second hour has been really tricky. It's been tricky, but you know there can be there can be there, oh boy I hear myself there can be bleed over if, if lines are close together. Well, I'm wondering if there's some kind of a code that got scrambled or something in the way that the the phone system is set up the the one that goes through the board here but that wraps it up for today's edition of armchair politics and uh, also the x-files i want to say thanks to uh, bobby clayton walton for joining our round table today thank you bobby happy to be with you guys thank you bobby and of course our round table regulars uh, paul rosicki and Paul, thank you. It's always uh, always good to be here. It's always great to have you. And Henry, it's always a treat to have you as well. Uh, thank you. I just want to say today, my my people of for trying to work well together. It's you, you might have seen that statement Mitch said that they worked well when he was in the Senate. Thank you. Bye. Take care, Henry. Bye. And Martin Gross wrote a book that John McCain carried with him all the time about the corruption of the government. Oh, oh. interesting. <laughs> well, okay. Thank, thank you all, and um, thanks to everybody who tuned in and uh, muddled through with us as we had some technical difficulties. But uh, 
That's Smoking George Winters tickling the ivories, letting me know it's time to head on down the hall to the living room. But tomorrow, I start uh, six days of uh, Flint City Council candidates, so tune in for that. Good night, everybody. The program is a live variety show. We want to acknowledge all of our guests who play such an important role in the show and our cavalcade of cohorts from coast to coast for their regular contributions. Most of the musical accompaniment was provided by people in or from the Flint area. Many of the pre-recorded portions of the Tom Sumner program are made possible by Flint's own Steve McComb and Pencil Sketch Recording in Nashville, Tennessee. If you have comments, questions or suggestions about the show, find us on Facebook. This is Prue Clearwater. Join us next time for another edition of the Tom Sumner Program. And thanks for listening.